Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Okay, excellent. It's good to see all of you here, those of you who are with us virtually as well. Can't see your faces, but I know you're out there, so glad you're with us. Um, We are working through some parables, the teachings that Jesus used to, uh, or the stories that Jesus would tell that that taught something greater about, particularly about the kingdom of God. That's what we're working through right now is the kingdom of God. And uh, because because Jesus often told a lot of stories, I I like to tell, I mean, I don't like to tell stories because Jesus told stories, but I do like to tell stories. I think stories help us uh, understand one another, and they help communicate things that we don't always, uh, uh, aren't always as able to communicate as clearly without them. So I like to start with the story. I'm going to start with the story. I was, I was thinking about uh, this the other day. When I, was, when I was growing up, I had this friend named Jamie, or James. Uh, he liked to go by James as he got older, but he was Jamie when he was younger, when he and I hung out. And um, uh, Jamie was really my best friend. We became friends because Jamie moved in across the street from us, into the house across the street. And initially, that was the reason we became friends, right? When you're young, you become friends with people because of locale or because it's just sort of by default. You're in a class with them or whatever. That's how you, that's how you find your friends. But, but then that doesn't mean that the friendship stays that way. It grows deeper and it grows stronger. And, and eventually, we became really, really good friends. We were, we were ultimately best friends. We did everything together. We were inseparable. We were at one another's houses all the time. If, if we weren't riding bikes together or, or playing football or trading baseball cards, we, we were building forts out of boxes in, in Jamie's garage, or we were, we were taking apart old radios in, in my basement where my dad had a bunch of stuff that he collected, and, and radios was one of them. So we'd take apart old radios in the basement, or we would dig for hidden treasure. Now, I confess we only did that once. That's sort of a one-time deal. You do that sort of thing, and, and if it doesn't work out for you, it, it, you probably aren't going to do it again and again and again. Um, it, it was in the summer of 1978. Uh, Jamie had gone to a movie with his family. I, don't, I could not remember what movie it was. Uh, it was a movie that had you know, some hunt for treasure in it. If you all know what movie that might have been, let me know, because I was racking my brain trying to figure it out. And um, he told his older brothers... Later, he had two older brothers. He told his older brothers that, that he was going to be a treasure hunter, that he was going to go out and find great fortune and wealth. He was going to, he was going to be, like it was almost one of those Jacob stories where like he was like, you guys are going to be my servants kind of thing. And so they convinced him that mom and dad had hidden this treasure or that somebody had hidden treasure in the backyard under the birdbath in the middle of mom and dad's really big elaborate flower garden. You can see where this is going, right? Um, Jamie was so excited that it, it really didn't take a lot to convince me, I, but his excitement was contagious, and like he came and told me about all this, and he assured me what his brother said, and, and we even talked to the, the younger of the two brothers, and, and they, they were like, yes, we know it's there. We just haven't been able to get to it. And so the very next week, while Jamie's parents were at work, we started to dig. 
we, we tried our very, very best to dig around the flowers and save the, the wildlife that was there, but ultimately the ground was really muddy. It had rained a couple days in the past, and, and we were eight years old. You know how good eight-year-olds eight are with shovels? Not very. And so uh, we, we made this, this huge mess. There were, there were very few flowers, except for right around the perimeter, that survived our digging that time. And unfortunately, when all was said and done, we were treasureless. The only thing that we really had at the end was basically a, a, a hole which was about four foot deep and four foot across, and a big mess to explain to his parents, and my parents, because his parents knew my parents, and so they called them, and that was a whole nother, why were you know, that, that turned out to be a, a, a bad thing. That's how treasure hunts typically end, right? We hear people going on these wild goose chases. Uh, uh, Geraldo Rivera and, and Capone's vault, right? Treasure hunt. We seek it. We look for it. We've, we're going to find it. And eventually, eh, it doesn't really amount to much. We don't find what we're looking for. We don't get what we think we're going to get. We come up empty-handed after expending all sorts of energy and time and wealth and so on. And yet, the thing that keeps our hope alive, the thing that keeps us, all of us have treasure hunter in us a little bit, I think, and the thing that keeps us being treasure hunters is the fact that every so often, we hear of a success story, right? We hear of somebody who actually finds something amazing. For example, 1947, a young shepherd boy was tending his flock to the northwest of the Dead Sea, right? He accidentally discovers these old scrolls while throwing rocks into a cave. So here's this, I don't know, let's say eight, nine, ten-year-old boy throwing rocks into a cave. He's bored of watching the sheep, and, and he hears something, and he goes in, and he discovers these scrolls. And though he didn't realize it at the time, the scrolls were priceless. They were, they were ancient Jewish religious manuscripts that were written between 150 B.C. and 70 A.D. They, they are what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls, found by a young boy throwing a rock into a cave. And you go, yes, see, it is possible. You mean there's a chance, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. I doubt any of us have had that experience. I doubt any of us have had the experience where we found something so amazing, so important, that we're like, this has changed our lives forever. I'm sure we've all found something of value, right? Maybe it was something we lost or thought we had lost. We put it someplace and could not remember where on earth it was, and 10 years later, it pops up, and we're like, oh, cool. It's like finding a treasure. <clears throat> maybe, maybe it was something that we always wanted, but it was a difficult-to-find item, right? And we run across it in a random store sometime, and we're like, this is it. This is cool. Maybe it was something we didn't really even know existed. And we find it, and we're like, oh, this makes my life so much easier. We've all had those experiences, and we probably remember how we felt, right? There was a certain level of elation there. There was a certain level, <clears throat> a certain level of joy. Can you give me some water, honey? Thanks. There was a certain level of joy that, that came from that experience. The, the, type, of, the type of thing that, that makes us feel good inside, right? That's kind of what Jesus is talking about here today, right? 
And he's talking about these parables, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, when you discover the kingdom of heaven, when you find it, when you come across it, when you realize it, or, or when, it, when it discovers you, when God discovers you, when you find that and recognize it for what it is, it's like finding something of great value. The joy, the elation, the excitement of finding it is, is insurmountable. It's, it's amazing. So Jesus tells these stories. He gives us these two parables that describe kind of what it's like finding the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven is like in and of itself. Thank you. In the first story, he compares it to a treasure that's hidden in a field. It's an item that's found unexpectedly, right? It's an item that, that no one was exactly looking for. The person wasn't exactly looking for it. He, he just ran across it. He just stumbled across it, basically. It was an accident, like the Dead Sea Scrolls or, or, or something you, you might see on Antiques Roadshow, right? You, who, does anybody watch Antiques Roadshow, or am I the only person that actually finds that kind of thing cool? Um, uh, Antiques Roadshow, for those of you who've never seen it, it it's, a, it's, a, it's a show where someone gets something. They find something. Maybe it was given to them by a grandparent or a parent. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they come across it at a, at a, I don't know, a garage sale. They think it's interesting. Or, or maybe, you know, they, I, I don't know, they, they find it some other way. And they take it in, and, and they, they get it appraised by a professional. Sometimes the items have little or no value. Sometimes they're worthless, really. And then sometimes, sometimes, the, the item turns out to be very valuable, and it's surprising and shocking how valuable it is. But the, but the point is, is that those people are not treasure hunters. They're not looking for anything. They, they just come across it. It's just something that sort of lands in their lap, you might say. And believe it or not, it, it doesn't just happen on TV. I actually know somebody that that happened to. A, a friend of mine was um, at the Wentzville Flea Market a couple years back, maybe two or three years back. And he found this old military surplus index card holder, kind of like something you'd find in, in a library, right? Um, and, and he finds it, and he's thinking to himself, he's a car guy, and he's thinking to himself, I'll, I'll use it for car parts, or I'll use it for tools or something. It's got a couple drawers in it. I'll, I can organize some stuff. He's like me. If I find stuff to organize or find stuff that I can organize with, I always like to get it. So he buys it for $5, takes it home, takes it apart to clean it up, and at the back of one of the drawers, kind of lodged in a, in, in a little slot there, <clears throat> there is a 1952 Jackie Robinson card in its cellophane. At the time, he valued it, it was valued at like 45 plus hundred dollars. That stuff never happens to me. Why doesn't it ever happen to me? But I'm, I'm glad that it happened to him. I'm, 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 I'm thankful. I'm thankful that it happened to him. It's a good thing. It, 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 those things don't happen very often. We don't hear about them very often. We don't, we, don't, we don't really probably know people that that happens to. At least very few of us know people that that happens to. But, but here's an important point. Just because it doesn't happen very often in this day and age doesn't mean we should assume that it didn't in, in Jesus' day and age, right? Uh, sometimes it's easy to take our, our present-day circumstances or our present-day, the way life is now, and apply it backwards to, to what it must have been like in Jesus' day or any other time of day, any other point in history. But the fact is, is that's, that's poor history. That's bad history. It, it's, bad, uh, it, it's bad scripture interpretation. You don't do that. What you have to do is go, what was it like for them, Right? And in Jesus' day, hidden treasure was a lot more common. You see, there were no banks. 
There are no places for people to, to hide their important stuff, and they would bury it. They would take their treasure and they would hide it, just in case, or, or maybe they were being attacked by, a, by an army or, or whatever it might be, um, or maybe they were traveling and they didn't want to take it with them. They would hide it with the assumption, with the belief that eventually, the, well, first the, the, the valuables would be safe, and then eventually they would come back and get their valuables back. Sometimes that happened. Sometimes it didn't happen. Sometimes the person died before they were ever able to get back to their valuables, and thus what you would have is a valuable left in the ground for someone else to be able to find, like a treasure left in the ground. Think about it like this. Um, people who survived, people who lived through uh, the Great Depression, uh, that generation had a habit of hiding money <laughs> and valuable things all throughout their houses, right? When Belinda's grandmother died, this was 15 years ago or so, we, went, we were going through her house, sorting through everything with, with Belinda's mother, and, and there, were, there were tens, twenties, and fifties stuffed in the most random of random places. Toilet paper, you know, stuffed in the tube of the toilet paper, stuffed in Kleenex boxes, in books, in old coffee cans, and on and on and on. They, they hid it to keep it safe because they figured eventually I'll get to go back to it. But they didn't get to go back to it, so it was a treasure hunt for us. Was, I mean, for Belinda's mother, she was the, she was the one that got it, but, that's, but it was a treasure hunt. And, and so that's the type of thing that Jesus is talking about. That's kind of how we should think about it. Because of that, the disciples were not surprised when they heard Jesus say, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. They didn't go, well, that's weird. Why would a treasure be hidden in a field? They didn't have our experiences. They had their own experiences. And, and therefore, it was not a strange thing to them. They understood because hiding and burying valuables was a very common thing. And yet, what happened next in the story may have been a bit of surprise. It certainly is to us. Jesus says after he discovers the treasure, the man lifts it out and runs away with it. No, the man buries it again. He covers it up. He doesn't take it because he can't take it. It seems kind of crazy because we think, well, if you find something, it's yours. Take it and, and run with it. If the owner didn't know it was there, I mean, that's not honest, so I wouldn't encourage doing that. But, but what he does is he does something different, and there's a reason for it. See, he, he didn't own the property, obviously. He had to go and buy the property. So he was a worker, he was a renter, he was a, a farmhand of some sort. And even if the owner didn't know it was there, there wasn't a finder's keeper's law, right? Basically, rabbinic law said that if a worker found buried treasure in someone else's field, whether they knew that it was there or not, if they lifted it out of the ground, if they uncovered it, it was fine, but if they lifted it out of the ground, the treasure had to be given to the owner of the field. But if they left it in the ground and covered it back up, they could in good conscience, go and buy the field and come back, and it was theirs. It was obvious this man knew that, right? Because he covered it back up. But what's more surprising is this. Jesus then goes on to say, he did that. He, he went and he sold everything. Everything he had. Think about that for a second. Just let that settle in for just a second. Selling everything you have to buy one thing. 
That seems pretty amazing. He joyfully sells all his possessions to buy the field. He liquidates his belongings. He has this big yard sale. I try to imagine what it must have been like for him to tell his wife, assuming that he was married, Honey, we got to leave. I sold the house. Well, let me grab a few things. Nope. Nope. Sold those two. Let me tell my mother. Nope. She's going with the house. I mean, how, how does that play out? How do, you, how do you tell your family, we're leaving all this behind because I bought a field? Are you crazy? You bought a field? You turned our lives upside down to get a treasure? It seems unreasonable, but we find as we, as we play through this that it is reasonable. The second parable is a lot like the first with a few small exceptions. In the first parable, right, the first parable, the man was poor or poorer. He was a worker. He was a laborer. He did not own the field. And so um, he, was, he was in a different place than the second man. The second man in the second parable is a, is a merchant. He's wealthy enough to go around searching for pearls and buying them, right? So we have a, we have a poor farmer or poor worker and, and a wealthy merchant, and in the first parable, again, uh, the man finds the treasure unexpectedly, as we've already talked about. But in the second one, he was actually searching for that very treasure. Other than that, it's basically the same. The general concept of the parable is the same. Like the man in the first parable, when the merchant finds the, the pearl of, of great value, what does he do? He sells everything that he has. Hold on that word again. Everything. He sells it all. He gives it all up. Gives it all away to someone else to, to, to get that one thing that he wants. Sells everything to attain the treasure that he's found. If you're anything like me, that's, that's the part I wrestle with most, right? I cannot think of finding anything on this earth that is worth selling everything I have for. I can't, I can't think of anything being that valuable. I can't think of anything being that important. And I've found some pretty good stuff in my lifetime. I've discovered some pretty good treasures. Uh, for example, one time um, when I bought my car four years ago, I found that someone left ABBA's Greatest Hits CD in the CD player. So that was a treasure, right? I, ha I haven't played it since, but, but I, I found it. And, and yes, Cindy, you can have that. Um, I mean, that's a treasure. I bought a sport coat for, at, a, at a garage sale one time and found $20 stuffed in the bottom of one of the pockets. It, it didn't change my life, but it made for a good lunch, right? It's a treasure. But I've never found anything so valuable that I thought, I'm going to give up everything I've got for it. That's the point. That's the very point. This treasure that these two men find is different. It's intended to be different. It's, it's substantially greater than anything we can imagine because the kingdom of heaven is of infinite or supreme worth. It's the most valuable thing we can possibly, possibly imagine, the possibly attain. It's more valuable than anything this world has to offer. That's, that's what Jesus is teaching us here. The kingdom of heaven is that great. It's that important. It's that valuable. I mean... It's not that the pearls weren't valuable. Generally, pearls from that area, even today, are considered extremely rare, extremely precious, extremely um, um, quality finds. They're amazing things to have. They're more expensive, ultimately, than, than most people can afford, and certainly were in those days. 
And clearly the same is true of whatever it was that the, that the farmer found, right? Whatever it was that he found was, was worth such great value that he had no doubt in his mind that he should sell everything he has to gain it. But it's difficult for us to imagine anything being that valuable. It's difficult for us to grasp that, I, I think in part because we think so much in earthly terms, right? We think so much about the here and now. When we, when we think of finding treasure, we think of gold, silver, diamonds, antiques, heirlooms, and things like that. Again, I, I was watching Antiques Roadshow the other day, and, and uh, a guy and his wife are driving home from a party one night, and they, don't laugh at me. I think somebody's laughing at me because I was watching Antiques Roadshow. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> um, the, the, he was driving home with his wife, and he sees this military locker sitting on the side of the road next to a garbage can. He's like, oh, somebody's throwing the military footlocker away. And so he stops to get it. I don't know if his wife supported that decision or not, but in the trash can next to the, the footlocker, he sees an old violin, old, worn down, rust, you know, didn't have any, any strings on it, all just kind of falling apart. And his wife had an old violin that, his, that had been her grandfather's, and he thinks to himself, I'll, I'll take it home, we'll use it for parts, or, or maybe we'll hang it on the wall, it's kind of a nice antique style decoration. And so that's what he does. Turns out, it was made in 1922 by Giuseppe Pedrazzini, who was a famous violin maker, and it was appraised at $50,000. It was laying in someone's garbage can. See, it makes me want to go out every time there's the large trash collection day and see if I can find, you know, I, I so badly want, I, I was preparing this sermon thinking to myself all week, I want to go to some estate sales, I want to go to some garage sales, come on, let's do this. Because you never know what you're going to find, Right? Right? That's how we think of treasure. We think of those things. We think of the things that have an earthly value, things that, that gain us earthly wealth. But, but what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of heaven is entirely different. It's worth way more than you can imagine. It's worth way more than any of those things. It's, it's, it's so valuable, so important, that you would give up everything you have here if you recognized what it was. The Baker New Testament Commentary on Matthew, Simon Kistemaker says this about the kingdom of heaven. He says, The kingdom of heaven is, is a glad recognition of God's rule over heart and life, including salvation for the present and for the future, for soul and ultimately also for the body, the great privilege of thereby being made a blessing to others and to the, for the glory of God. And all of this, this treasure is so immensely precious that the one who obtains it is willing to surrender for it whatever could interfere with having it. It is the supreme treasure because it truly and fully satisfies the needs of the heart and brings inner peace and satisfaction to the soul. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship with the Savior. We're talking about the indwelling of God's Spirit in our hearts, the, the treasure that, 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 that makes us understand who Jesus is and why He came for us. To boil it down further, another scholar explains that the kingdom of heaven is simply the reign of God in this world, especially in the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls who praise him and love him and live for him. That's another point that we get from this parable, that, that the kingdom of heaven is, is, for, is, is for a lot of people. It's, it's vastly diverse. 
It's far greater than we imagine in our small minds. It, 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 it extends beyond what we see and what we understand here. The, the people of history, people from the past, people in the future, all those people will be part of the same kingdom. People in different cultures, people of different colors, all those people are part of the same kingdom. Even though we worship differently, we, we, our, our services may be you know, louder, our services may be quieter, we may, we may be more reserved, we may raise our hands. It doesn't matter because the kingdom of heaven is made up of all of these, each one, to the glory of God. It's not made up of one group of people who look a certain way or think a certain way or, or come from a certain place. As John explained in Revelation 7, 9, one day, one day, one glorious, final, majestic day we will see, we will see clearly that the kingdom of heaven consists of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Not only will they be young and old and male and female, but they will, they will have varying incomes and varying ethnicities and varying educations and varying talents and, and skills. They will, they'll be artists and scientists and engineers and carpenters and students and teachers and janitors and, and so on and on and on. They will be people from all walks of life and all places, all bearing the image of their maker. Of course, we don't always see this diversity now. The kingdom of heaven is still veiled to us. It's, it's, it's covered. We don't see in full. Paul, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13. He, he says, we see in parts now. We don't see it clearly. We see it dimly. We see it foggy. You know, We can't get a clear image of exactly what it's supposed to look like or what it does look like. But one day we will see it in whole. We will see it clearly. And it will be glorious and magnificent because we will also see the face of our Savior. We will also see the face of the King. And still we continue and must continue to work toward that end until the king returns and we finally see how vastly diverse his kingdom is and then with joy worship him in his presence, which is, which is ultimately the last point I want us to take home from this, these two parables, that, that the kingdom of heaven is the source of true joy. When we find it, when we know we have it, when we, when we, when we possess it and spread it, give it away to others. It doesn't get smaller for us when we give it away for others. It gets bigger for us when we give it away to others. The kingdom of heaven grows because of what we do, and it becomes the source of our true joy. That's why the farmhand was able to sell all his possessions with joy. He recognized the infinite value. He, he, he saw what it was worth. He realized that all he had did not compare to what was in front of him. As Paul says, of his own situation in Romans 8, 18. His present sufferings, difficulties, struggles are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And again in, in Philippians 3, 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything. Everything is a loss. Nothing is worth the relationship. Nothing is worth the kingdom. That's... It's the type of, of joy that, that, that Christ is talking about in these parables. That's, that's what the kingdom of heaven is ultimately all about. Again, Paul says in, in Romans 14, it's not a matter of eating or drinking, but about righteousness and peace and the joy of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The kingdom of heaven is the true, is the true source of joy. And the, like the man who, who joyfully sold all that he had, all his possessions, everything, 
the more that we dwell on what it means to truly be citizens of that kingdom, the more joy we will receive in seeing the face of the king. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, we long for the day when we see the full value of your kingdom. When we actually understand how much it's worth. We think we do now. We, 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 we get an idea, but we don't see it clearly. And so it's hard. It's so hard. We long for the day when we see its value fully. We long for the day. We long for the day when we see its diversity and, and its fullness. And we recognize and rejoice with the voices and the, and the faces of all those around us. We love you sing to you and worship you. We long for the day when, when that joy is made complete in seeing your face, finally recognizing the King who died for us and rose for us and will one day come again for us. Lord, we long for that day and we, we eagerly await your coming. We eagerly await the time when you will come again to make your kingdom whole here on earth. Lord, Lord God, come quickly. And until then, until you return, make us servants who worship you and seek to glorify you in everything we think, say, and do. From here on, until you either call us home or until you come again. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.